crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nuktagal. For today's program, we're going to take a break from biblical archaeology, and I'm going to be talking about a more pressing issue. We are going to start a series to show how the administration of President Obama, as well as officials associated with the State Department, as well as Israeli officials and non-governmental organizations, have organized a campaign, a long-standing campaign, really, to take down Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I've been studying into this for uh, a bit, and while some of it looks like it has been reported, it really seems there's a lot of information out there that has been glossed over and missed entirely. And there are a lot of moving parts to this as well, so I'm also going to be writing it up for Watch Jerusalem so that you can gather some of the information there and some of the chronology there, because you have to, it's it's actually quite hard to put all, all of this together. Uh, but if you look at the stream of thought thought through this and you look at the time frame of it, it really does show that this program that was activated by President Obama's administration really is still active today in Israel. The, the What happened back in 2015 uh, around the election, we'll cover that, some of that today. That has been well documented and is pretty well known, although the State Department, as well as the Democratic-led subcommittee that looked into the affair in 2015, uh, that of the State Department funding a campaign to take down President, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, while that has been largely published, even bits of that information in there has been missed and not documented well enough. Again, this is the effect of what took place back in 2015 and earlier, as we'll see today, is still in effect, and as recently as the latest series of elections inside Israel. So I want to preface this entire discussion, though, by going back to an article written by Watch Jerusalem Editor-in-Chief, Mr. Gerald Flory, back in 2013. It was an article that was written in response to President Obama's first visit to Israel. And interestingly enough, it came after the beginning of his second term. It didn't come before uh, coming into, uh, didn't come to Israel before then. His first phone call to a foreign leader back in 2008 was to Mahmoud Abbas, interestingly enough. Uh, but he wouldn't visit here, the nation, until 2013. This article by our editor in chief is entitled The Mystery of President Obama's Visit to Israel. And I just went back into this article because Mr. Flurry in this article does highlight what's going on behind the scenes as to what pre- President Obama was up to, his goals in trying to take down Netanyahu, and, and it just how it relates also to what we've seen happen in the United States since the election of, of President Trump. It is really the same phenomena at play as we'll get to. The quip of this article from 2013 read, on the, president's resto- on the president's recent historic trip, many people were impressed by his strong statements in support of the Jewish state. But the truth about this man's relationship with Israel goes deeper than mere words in front of a camera. What was the purpose? Or what was President Obama's purpose for going to Israel? This is a real mystery to Israel, but it's not a mystery to me is what Mr. Flurry writes. And in this article, he really keyed in on a speech that President Obama gave at the convention center. 
you'll remember that he turned down the opportunity to speak before Israel's elected representatives at the Knesset, which is highly unusual, but instead, as Carolyn Glick brought out at the time, he chose to address a hand-picked audience of university students, an audience grossly overpopulated by unelectable radical leftists. That's what Carolyn Glick wrote. And so during this speech, there were a couple of comments that uh, Mr. Flurry brought attention to of President Obama. Uh, one of them referred to the fact that he, he called Israel a foreign army uh, inside Judea and Samaria. And then he said this uh, towards the end of his speech. And let me say this as a politician. I can promise you this. Political leaders will never take risks if the people do not push them to take some risks. You must create the change that you want to see. Imagine hearing that if you were Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at the time, when the leader of the free world world comes and speaks before a bunch of your young people and tells them that your leaders aren't going to do nothing unless they're pushed by you. Pushed by you. And this obviously upset Netanyahu at the time. Um, But little did the Prime Minister know that uh, President Obama's own State Department was going to fund, in part, the effort to make that push take place. Now, over the course of this series, we're going to be jumping around uh, a fair bit because there's a lot of moving parts. But for today, I'm going to jump straight into the action. I'm going to talk about what took place on Election Day in 2015. It was about midday on March 17th, and things were not looking good for Netanyahu. Poll after poll was coming in, and Netanyahu was worried that he was going to lose to the Zionist Union. They looked like they were going to do quite well in the vote. That was Herzog and Livni at the time. And so Netanyahu took to Facebook, and he said this, this comment, which has now become quite famous. So just the first part of that comment I want to focus on today, where he said the right wing is in danger, the Arab voters are coming out in droves to the ballot box. And the left-wing associations are bringing them on buses. And then he says, we have no V15. And he's basically saying that it's time for those uh, that want to support uh, the Mahal or Likud party to go out and vote. Go out and vote. With your help, he said, God willing, we'll establish a national government that will look after the state of Israel. So there's a lot to unpack in this. And today I'm going to actually see, and we're going to look at whether this comment by him was effective. And what led him to make this comment? Was it just fear-mongering? Was it a racist statement? Was it true? Was it true? Were the Arab voters being bussed out to the ballot box by left-wing organizations? And who arranged it? And who paid for it? And who knew about it? First, let's see whether it was actually effective. Now, this is an article written by Times of Israel staff, Uh, and it was written on March 25th, and it was entitled, this is 2015, entitled Netanyahu's Arab Droves Warning May Have Been Decisive in His Victory. It reads this way. Again, this is back just after the election, just when it happened. 
It said this, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's Election Day high noon appeal to his supporters to go out and vote to offset the droves of Arabs flowing into the polling stations may have played a decisive role in his victory, the country's best-known political pollster indicated Wednesday. Pollster Dr. Mina Tsimach told the Knesset Channel that at noon on Election Day, March 17th, her survey shows Isaac Herzog's Zionist camp to be leading Netanyahu's Likud by three or four seats. Then, at 2.23 p.m., Netanyahu posted his controversial Facebook message warning about the rule of the right is in danger, that Arab voters were turning out in vast numbers and they were being bused to the polling stations by left-wing NGOs and that his, his supporters simply had to work harder to get out the vote and close the gap. Now, by 5 p.m. that day, Tzemach, the chief pollster for Israel's most-watched TV station, Channel 2, said that the gap had been closed. Herzog's national union with Netanyahu's Likud were tied. By 8 p.m., she said that Likud was ahead, and by 10 p.m., she predicted 28 uh, seats, the exit polls, 28 seats predicted, actually, that Likud would get 28 seats, 27 for the national union, Two others said that Likud and National Union were um, going to be even. And a lot of the, you'll remember this election, it was horrible. The exit polls were so wrong. Um, and that night when Seymour did pull her final poll out, she said that Likud would win by 29 votes to the Zionist Union 23. But on election night, that wasn't reported. Nevertheless, what's really interesting about this, well, Likud would go on to get 30 seats and National Union would go on to get 24 now, what's interesting about this is it shows that Netanyahu's comments did have an effect. Times of Israel continued at the time. The comments Wednesday mirrored remarks by Herzog in a Channel 2 interview on Saturday in which he said his his party's own polls had shown him to be five seats ahead of Netanyahu's Likud as late as noon on Election Day. And even when the TV polls showed the two parties tied, he had expected that he would be able to form a coalition and not to Netanyahu, he said. Herzog accused Netanyahu of resorting to lies, incitement, and racism to secure his victory, again, through this comment. Lies, for one. Now, we can debate the the racist element of this if you like, but one thing is true, and that is that Netanyahu did not lie. There was no lie in his statement. The Arabs were indeed coming out, in a way that they had never done so before, and they were indeed being bussed by left-wing NGOs. And this was a coordinated strategy that goes back to, uh, as we'll see, an affiliation with the State Department. It's hard to pin this exactly on Prime, uh, President, Ed, uh, President Obama uh, personally, but you can see the actors at play in the State Department and how they allowed this to go on, and how their deliberate oversight of the funding of this NGO positioned positioned this group that all of its decision makers were from out of Israel, for one, that positioned this group to then motivate the Arab vote as well as the left-wing vote inside Israel. And Netanyahu did come out and say, on the Monday following the election, he said, quote, I know the things I've said a few several days ago offended some of Israel's citizens, hurt the Arab citizens. This was never my intent, and I apologize for this. Now, it's interesting. If you see the White House response at the time, you had Josh Ernest, who was the, the press secretary for the, 
uh, president at the time came out and said, quote, that cynical election day tactic was a pretty transparent effort to marginalize Arab Israeli citizens and their right to participate in their democracy. That was his comment. And Barack Obama, he said, quote, that kind of rhetoric was contrary to what is the best of Israel's traditions. Israeli democracy has been premised on everybody in the country being treated equally and fairly. And I think that is what's best about Israeli democracy. If that's lost, then I think that not only does it give ammunition to folks who don't believe in a Jewish state, but it also, I think, starts to erode the name of democracy in the country. And that's just really interesting to go back and and read that from five years ago. And here's President Obama really pushing this narrative that it's Netanyahu that's destroying the democracy in the country of Israel, when we've got a lot of evidence to the to the contrary, of course, that we'll talk about in this this series. But that is still that is still the main argument of the left, especially this latest campaign comparing Prime Minister Erdo, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey. That's what blue and white had on billboards everywhere. That he was that a vote for King Bibi was going to be just like voting on voting in the almost theocrat, at least autocrat, Erdogan. This eroding the name of democracy sounds good, but really there is much more to President Obama's comments. Who was eroding democracy? Who was de- eroding democracy? We'll talk about that today. We're going to analyze this comment today about why the Arabs were coming out to vote and whether they were being bussed out by left-wing NGOs. And who is also V15? V15, you remember there from Netanyahu's quote, was mentioned saying that we don't have a V15. And V15 was a a NGO, or at least let's say a program of an NGO. Um, Victory 15 is another name for it. And it was a program that was supported by an NGO called One Voice that was supported by PeaceWorks. So a lot of different names there. But essentially, what the what the Senate subcommittee did when they looked into this back in 2015, they erased any type of uh, difference between One Voice, which is this European-American-led NGO that works in Israel that has bases, a base of operation in Tel Aviv and also Ramallah um, from uh, V15. They are one and the same. V15, it was a public, it was the public face of this grassroots campaign that was initiated right before the 2015 election that was um, used to motivate people to come out and vote. Not everyone, of course, it was only motivated to vote those that are center-left, left voters, and also the Arabs as well. Now, as the state, as the Senate subcommittee brought out, V15 was directly funded by One Voice. It had no autonomy over its narrative and no autonomy over, well, it had no payment structure. It was all underneath One Voice, but they purposely separated, that is One Voice did, kept V15 as a separate entity. That was the public face, and One Voice wasn't the public face of this campaign. And even Netanyahu in that quote, he doesn't say we don't have a one voice, he or he doesn't say we don't have a peace works, he says we don't have a V15. 
Because as far as Israelis were concerned at the time, it was V-15 that was behind this effort. And really, the V-15 was started by a couple of guys uh, in late 2014, early 2015. And there was already a massive program in motion before then that had gone back for a year and a half. And that program, led by one voice, to encourage the Arab vote and the center-left voters to come out, they jumped on this little uh, little V15 organization as it began, took it over, funded it, directed it entirely, but kept V15 because it was started by two Israelis, and that's helpful. That's helpful in this regard. And we'll talk about how it was started in a little bit. But it has been widely reported, and the reason for that Senate subcommittee looking into this, it was widely reported back in 2015 that One Voice received a grant of about $350,000 from the the Obama State Department uh, back in September 2013, and the period of this grant ended in November 2014. So this is really close to the March uh, 17th, uh, 2015 election. You've got $350,000, doesn't sound like much, but we'll get to that in a second, that is going to this group, and the purpose, uh, One Voice, and the purpose of this grant was to fund a grassroots campaign to go along with the peace efforts of Secretary of State John Kerry. He started up his his peace uh, negotiations with Abbas and Netanyahu shortly thereafter, or shortly after this uh, this, or just before actually this grant was given. And immediately after the, and it was intended that it was going to try and dispel, you know, the negativity on the Arab side and the Jewish side, according to the Obama peace effort. It sounds kind of uh, mundane uh, at the beginning, and indeed it probably was. Now, immediately after this grant was given, One Voice hired out, or hired 270 Strategies, another group. But what you need to know is 270 Strategies was headed by Jeremy Bird, and they hired him as an advisor and his team. I think there are dozens of members of his team in Israel at a time. And Jeremy Bird, he was a national field director for President Obama for his 2012 election win. And he's regarded as the, one of the best in his field. He mobilized the masses. Back in 2008, I believe it was, in South Carolina first, when he was the head up over South Carolina and going out to people to get them to vote. And President Obama saw how good he was back then. And then he was the director, the national field director, for 2012 for President Obama's re-election. And again, he's really good at mobilizing people to come out and vote for Obama. And he was hired by One Voice immediately after the grant was given. And, and he was already actually ha- was in mind before the grant was given from the State Department uh, to campaign to get the Arabs to come out and vote and also some of the Israelis as well. Now, the stated purpose of this program initially was not to oust Netanyahu. I'm not saying that at all. But rather, it was to provide support for the ideas of the two-state solution and the leftist candidates that would encourage those, the two-state solution and other peace uh, arrangements from John Kerry. Now, it was it would naturally have the effect of working against Netanyahu because he's on the right, of course. Now, while Jeremy Bird, who was hired by One Voice to help them out in this grassroots campaign, um, he's obviously an Obamaphile, uh, 
But I think he might have been in some ways clean. I think he might have been doing it for a paycheck. And I'm saying that because his name was put out there by the radical Israeli leftist papers early on. They weren't trying to hide, it seems, that Jeremy Bird was involved. And perhaps he was just there for the paycheck. And perhaps he was just the best person uh, for the job. Now, there is an email that, that took place on October 14th, 2013. So this is just after One Voice starts to gets it, its grant approved of $350,000 and they're going to put it to use. And this, this was an email that came from the CEO of One Voice. And when I say One Voice, at this point, One Voice is not yet V15. V15 is going to start just before the election. V15 is purely the Israeli side of the grassroots campaign to go out and get people to vote and then the media campaign that's going to come down through Facebook and other things to get people to vote, which was highly successful. So One Voice is over that through Viv15, but they have other elements as well to their structure of defeating Netanyahu eventually. But at first, it wasn't about that. It was about pushing forward with this uh, peace plan, it seems. Now, Mark Ginsburg, he said this, quote, Obama's grassroots team and graduates of the Clinton communications operation is involved. This is to one of his friends. The U.S. government has given us a $350,000 U.S. grant uh, for the grassroots camp campaign. So that's 2014, or 2013, sorry, October 14th. They get the money. They get part of the money, the first bit of money for this grassroots campaign. And it's well known that Obama's team is working for them, for one voice. So how was this money used? Initially, it was used to develop a database of names, emails, workers, volunteers, and others inside Israel and amongst the Israeli Arab community and inside the West Bank that supported Kerry's peace efforts. Now, at this point, Ginsburg, who's the, the CEO of, of uh, One Voice, who was, used to be the U.S. ambassador under Obama to Morocco, he's well known uh, in many circles. He appears on TV quite a lot in the United States as an analyst. Uh, he, he's well known to others, such as Martin Indyk, who was the peace envoy for, um, for President Obama and, and John Kerry for a time during this period. And there's several emails of Ginsburg emailing Martin Indyk and Frank Lowenstein, who would replace Indyk after he left, about what was going on. There was no sense that he was trying to hide this at all, but he basically said that we need more money. We need more money. This is what he said on February 24th, 2014 to Martin Indyk. Again, who is the peace envoy for the U.S. State Department for, for John Kerry and Obama? He said this, requesting more money, he said, we need... Uh, 350000 to 750000 US dollars. But if we're going to get these plans underway, we cannot wait indefinitely for someone at state to pry open the US government wallet. Guys, talking to Indic, Martin Indic, guys, you know Daniel and I are moving on all cylinders to back you up and we intend to throw the kitchen sink into anything we can do to provide, uh, provided we have the resources to do it. So he's saying that $350,000 isn't enough. We need more if we are going to really ramp up the support for the peace process. Now, he is no fan, this man of, of uh, Netanyahu, as we'll get to. He also, in the end, wasn't the biggest fan of, of, of um, uh, President Obama either. 
and definitely wasn't a big fan of the President Obama's State Department. He's got some chilling comments to, about them as well. Um, but at the beginning, he was interested in raising a lot of money for this grassroots campaign using Obama's team, and he's asking for more money, and he obviously has a close enough relationship to Mr. Martin Indyk to, to call him, or say, guys, to him. Now, when he said there, Daniel and I are moving on all cylinders, Daniel refers to a board member of One Voice, and he's the leader of PeaceWorks that funds One Voice. He's the master decision maker in all of this. This is Daniel Lubetsky. Uh, we're going to talk to him in a different stage. Uh, but notice that, again, Martin Indyk, a notorious hater of Netanyahu, they're well aware of the initial project and the money that, w- that was going towards it from the State Department. But it went more than just the... Um, this money going in there went far past just supporting peace, the peace efforts of John Kerry, especially when those peace, peace talks broke down. They broke down halfway through the uh, period, the grant period of One Voice in April 2014. They broke down. Now, I will say that it looks like most of what One Voice was doing before the talks broke down could be called kosher. It could be fine. But as soon as those talks broke down in 2014, at that point, the mission changed. It was no longer to support peace efforts by John Kerry. It was rather to bring down Netanyahu. And there were a number of strategies that One Voice, with the U.S. grants and its other funders, started to employ. And one of them was by using the grassroots research they had developed to motivate people to come out and vote for centrist parties. It wasn't any more about just promoting the peace ideas, but it was trying to get the people in there that would eventually, hopefully, declare some type of two-state solution. This is what Mark Ginsburg, the CEO of, um, of One Voice, said. And again, One Voice morphed into, or at least took under the umbrella of V15, which Israelis you'll all be familiar with, V15. This is what he said just before the Israeli elections were called. This aired on December 7th, 2014. He was still in the employment of One Voice at this time. A couple of days later, he is going to he's going to resign just when it really gets interesting. But this is the type of person that was behind uh, some of these efforts to bring out the center-left vote in Israel as well as the Arab vote. The next election in Israel has got to be about the settlement enterprise and about the nature of the conflict and the future of Israel. It cannot be what Mr. Netanyahu wants it to be, which is an election solely about security and fear, and not about the challenge that Israel faces in the absence of a negotiated agreement. That's, I think, where the future of a two-state solution will ultimately be decided in the next Israeli election. So there are just some really interesting comments from Mark uh, Ginsburg just after he would resign, or just before he would resign, just a few days before the elections were called after the uh, dissolution of the government, and which, by the way, One Voice was actually working behind the scenes. It was one of their goals to break up the government of Netanyahu so that there would be another election. And so he's leaving, and he's saying that the 2015 election's a big deal. It's going to decide the future of the two-state solution, whether it goes forward or not. Later on in, the, in another clip here on that same 
that same interview, he talks about how Israelis are going to have to wake up, wake up to reality at this next election. Now, it should be noted that the official timing of the grant to One Voice from the United States government ended on November 30, just before, just two days before elections broke up. Nevertheless, everything that One Voice learned and the database of supporters it received and the massive social media presence it gained, it would become, uh, it would boast over 1.5 million supporters in Israel soon enough. It was all deployed for use in order to take down Netanyahu in 2015. Now I'm going to quote from the bipartisan review of the U.S. State Department grant to One Voice. This was conducted after it was exposed that the State Department was giving away money in this way. And this is a really interesting read. Uh, well, maybe it's not that interesting, but I found it very interesting because it was it was written by a, a subcommittee that had Democratic lead uh, in it, and yet you have Republicans there as well. And so it's like this document's at war with itself, uh, trying to, the part of it tries to say that, well, According to the grant, they could do all these things, but but they didn't actually actively go out of their way after during the grant period to take down Netanyahu, so it's all okay. And the other part of it says that, well, they did everything they could do preparatory uh, for the campaign against Netanyahu be, while the grant was in, uh, or the peer grant period was in focus, but they just hit it all. They just didn't activate it all. And then two days after, uh, two days after the grant ends, then it's all activated. The machinery comes into power. It's time to tap our resources. And all of the resources that were gained, including the massive social media presence, was then used to try and take down Netanyahu. Anyone but Bibi. That's where the slogan started back in Victory 15. That's what they wanted. The State Department, well, the Senate subcommittee says this, quote, the third party review of One Voice Grant required by the State Department, concluded that during the grant period, quote, foundations were laid for continued activity by One Voice even after the end of this project. Many young people were recruited for further activity, groups of activists were formed, and the structures were created for activities of this kind. The subcommittee's investigation has found that One Voice used these foundations, particularly newly trained activists, voter lists, expanded social media platform, and strengthened grassroots expertise for the V15 campaign. As soon as elections were called on December 2nd, One Voice began deploying the grassroots organizing apparatus that it built substantially with U.S. taxpayer dollars. It's like they were getting the machinery ready they built the machine and then they didn't ignite it. They didn't turn it on until the election started. They didn't turn it on until the grant ended. But obviously they had this in mind. They had this in mind and even the State Department documents bring out that they had this in mind before the State Department's uh, grant ended. So they created this work, this network of workers that would support their campaign. This is a network unmatched in Israel, and they activated it when the election was called. Now, it wasn't just the grassroots element of this, but also during the grant period, One Voice social media presence doubled. It doubled. By the end of the grant period, One Voice boasted the largest 
single biggest pre-existing social media capacity in Israel. So this isn't a small social media campaign. This isn't a small group on Facebook. They said that they had the largest pre-existing social media capacity in Israel. And then when the election was called, One Voice actively encouraged all of its followers to join the V15 effort. Of course they would. They're one and the same whose purpose, again, was to bring down Bibi. So then with this database, One Voice pumped $7 million during the three-month campaign to to bring down the Netanyahu government. $7 million. Now, that might not sound a lot, but considering the 2015 Israeli election campaign, the total budget for all the parties seeking office was $51 million, that's a lot of money. So let's just say that you have the largest social media group there is on Facebook in terms of election or let's say a super PAC and those that are going to follow you. You have that number already and you got that because of U.S. State Department funding. And then just after the election starts, you pump in another $7 million into the campaign. That's quite a lot of money for an Israeli election considering how much the other parties are allowed to use by law. So why weren't they successful? Why weren't they successful then? If they had Obama's uh, dream team from 2012, and they had funding from the State Department, and they had a lot of foreign donors that are lining up to pay money into this to bring down Netanyahu, a lot of them from Europe, a lot of them famous names. Why weren't they successful? Here is what One Voice Israel director Polly Bronstein said. She now actually heads up Karen Hayasod, uh, the Israel Fund, which is kind of scary to think about. Um, but this was her back in 2015. Uh, she had only recently came come into this position about six months earlier. There was a bit of a shuffling along of people and manpower in One Voice Israel. And uh, they brought on her. But notice what she says about how successful her campaign was and why it didn't work. And this is her in an interview with Ronan Farrow. Polly, what V15 did was somewhat unprecedented in Israeli politics. You brought in uh, some American manpower, Jeremy Byrd of Obama for America, uh, to really do an American-style get-out-the-vote campaign. Why didn't that work? Well, we think it did work. Actually, the percentage of voting in Israel and the national percentage of voting went up, and it went up specifically in the areas where we work. So we now know that the methodology that we brought together with uh, Jeremy Bird and his staff uh, works in Israel as well. Actually, when we went door to door and talked to uh, almost 200,000 uh, Israelis at the 250. doorstep, 250,000, I'm sorry, um, we got amazing response. And then later on, uh, to this morning, we saw that they did come out and vote. The thing is that Netanyahu, at the same time, was doing uh, a panic uh, campaign to bring his base of voters out, uh, fearing uh, left uh, center of government and fearing the Arabs of Israel. And he just gave us a very big fight. And together, we raised the percentage of voting in Israel in general. I think uh, V15 campaign has changed campaigning in Israel forever. And I can also tell you that we are extremely proud, not just of the result we brought in terms of percentage, but also at the tens of thousands of volunteers that were part of this campaign, the hundred thousands of supporters that we got. I think to get today we got 
so many emails and comments saying, please don't stop. You created this wonderful thing for Israel. This is a platform that should mm. uh, stay for uh, a long time and make sure that Israel still uh, has the vision that we have for it. That was Polly Bronstein from One Voice of V15, both the same thing, and uh, her saying that, you know, we've got all the support and we would have brought him down through all these thousands of supporters and people are thanking us all around Israel for, for doing this. And really, they should be thanking the U.S. State Department at the same time and President Obama for uh, allowing the expertise to come in and funding the initial stages of the machine that would produce the ability to have this campaign as well. And we have seen this same machine in be in motion. Thankfully, if you go on Facebook, you can actually see the names of Facebook pages and how they change over time. It's called Page Transparency and there is a group called Darkenu right now, well-known in Israel, supported Blue and White, of course, and others, and does not support Netanyahu, organizes mass rallies against him. You go there and you check their tra- page transparency, and you can tell that they're v-, v called V15, or they used to be, but after the election, because of this bad press, they had a bad, got a bad name, and so they changed their name, and they became Darkenu. But as she said, they they receive reports. People hope that their vision for Israel continues, and indeed it does. This same group, the same group whose initial members in the grassroots campaign, funded by the Obama administration back in 2013 and 2014, that same group exists today, greatly expanded uh, now, and it is still trying to bring down Netanyahu. But... As she said there, Netanyahu had his social media campaign. He has his social media empire as well. And that was needed to counteract what was happening. And together, both what One Voice did through V15 and Netanyahu, they caused the largest turnout in Israel's history. And as we've learned from above, from earlier, if Netanyahu hadn't said what he did, he might not have survived back then. Also in that interview with Ronan Farrow was Nimrod Dweck. He was the originator of V15, and um, he's the, the man along with, I forget the other man's name, he's the younger fellow in the, in the duo that One Voice happened upon and uh, decided that this is a great face for what we want to do. And so he provided a lot of, he is a, I think he's a PR guy as well, uh, Nimrod Dweck is. And so, I mean, they're, they're, they did align very much. I'm not saying that Nimrod Dweck didn't have any part in this, but it should be known that he was paid. And all the decisions that uh, the final authority did not rest with him for V15, it rested with one voice. Polly Bronstein there was over the top of Nimrod Dweck. And then she was underneath a lot of others as well, orchestrated from the United States and from Europe. So that's the official chain of command. It has does not have Israeli directorship over it. Uh, back the, uh, in, in 2015, V15 was an international affair whose leadership and whose payment came from abroad uh, almost entirely. Now Nimrod Dweck is going to again talk to Ronan Farrow, and he focuses on what happened when Netanyahu called uh, for the people to come out and vote. Nimrod, one of those 11th hour comments from Benjamin Netanyahu was a a charge that groups like V15 from the left were bussing in Arab voters. What's your response to that comment? Well, Arab voters are citizens of the country and in democracy everyone has the right to vote. And if the Prime Minister decides to say something like that, sorry, 
This is absolutely racist. This is something should, that shouldn't be even out, spoken out loud. Uh, I do not expect from a prime minister to say such things. When we grew up on values of, uh, of uh, liberalism, values of equality, that all men are equal un under, under God's eye. How can, I don't really realize how, how he allowed himself to say something like that. This is a real damage to the Israeli fabric of society for many, many years. And indeed, that's what uh, people have been saying for many, many years, that uh, Netanyahu did damage the society because he called out these droves of Arabs that were coming to the polling stations bust in by left-wing NGOs. But is that is even true? A lot of people would just say that wasn't true. That was just Netanyahu coming out to just try and get more votes. But it seems that this was entirely truthful. It seems that the V15 campaign was really only part of what is happening. Now, I have in front of me a document from December 19th. This is three months before the election, two and a half weeks uh, after the elections were called. It's a discussion about the four-phase campaign to bring down Netanyahu. That's what I call it. That's not what they call it. But it was written by uh, one voice in their senior management. It wasn't distributed to everybody. And this was given to the Senate subcommittee in their, their period of discovery for this. It says this, quote, Laid out below is a report, is a report as of December 19th of the three distinctive projects that One Voice is currently engaged in running or providing financial and in-kind support during the March 17th uh, election. So it's talking about the ones that's running, that's V15, personally running that. In-kind support is the ones that uh, Bird's Group, T270 Strategies, is providing. He's Obama's guy, providing support for. They have provides support for his. It also provides support for the... Uh, the General's Campaign, as we'll talk about in another program. And it also provided support for the Get Out to Vote campaign in the uh, amongst the Arab Israelis. Now, it talks about in this internal document about a steering committee uh, that is going to be chosen to help all these, these three or four phases come together to bring down Netanyahu. And this is a multifaceted program. It involves Israelis. It even involves some members of the Knesset that were in on this at the time with one voice. Um, but one of the points that I discussed earlier as well was this grassroots campaign to motivate the left and center of, Arab, of Israeli voters. But also we have this third segment or third phase of the Bring Down BB, and that was the Arab-Israeli Get Out to Vote. Now, this document, another document that is another memo that was given out to the Senate committee, talks about a $3 million effort, $3 million effort by, led by Mohammed Darshwer, and he is actually part of One Voice as well. He's also the co-director of Givat Haviva, and this is another peace, in quotes, NGO in Israel. Now, this is interesting because part of this was reported on in the Washington Free Beacon back on March 23rd, 20, 2015, just a few days after the election. And this is what it says. Givat Haviva brought a delegation of Arab-Israeli mayors to the United States in February to meet with Democratic leaders and learn political organizing techniques. State Department expedited the mayor's visas, according to internal correspondence obtained by the Free Beacon. And so you have before, a week before this trip. So you've got this election, uh, they, they meet at the American embassy in Tel Aviv with these Arab leaders and also Dashwara and, and Givat Haviva. So you have, you have mayors from the Arab areas of Israel getting expedited visas by the State, the State Department once this election was called. They're brought over 
to uh, to the United States to get political training from Democratic leaders, learn political organizing ca- uh, techniques, and then they're sent back. They're sent back to the United States. Now, I think it only took them a week to get their visas, uh, which usually they take up to up to three months. And so this was the State Department, again, helping out Givat Haviva, which the State Department has given funds to before. And again, with this group, they do some good and they do some bad as well. They do some bad. You And you can't, I'm not saying that it's bad uh, to get people to vote. I'm saying it's bad when you have a foreign company such as One Voice with the backing of the United States Department organizing only a certain segment of a society in a foreign country that votes a certain way, giving them lots of money and organizing them. That is bad. And that's what happened here. And then if you look at what one of their processes was going to be for Election Day, they were going to have $1 million budgeted to events on Election Day. And one of those events was, point one, it's written in their own memo, transportation to voting centers. What did Netanyahu say again on midday, at midday on March 17th, 2015? He said the right wing is in danger. Arab voters are moving, you know, coming out in droves to the ballot box. The left wing NGOs are bringing them on buses. He was right. He was right. The right wing was in danger. The Arab voters were coming out in droves. And they weren't just doing it of their own volition. They were being coerced and strongly encouraged and funded to the point of here, we'll even bring a bus to your doorstep and bring you out to vote. They weren't doing sure, they were doing that for everybody on the in the in the Arab areas. And sure, a couple of them could have voted fully could. But one Voice, Givata Viva, and ostensibly the State Department, they knew who those Arab voters would be voting for. And while the world comes out and talks about Netanyahu being racist with what he said, he was worried that his government was going down, and it probably would have. It probably would have, and we would live in an entirely different country today if that was the case. Now, to bring this to a close, I want to finish with an interview that was conducted on November 24th, just last year, 2019. This was on Katz Roundtable. It's in the United States, somewhere on the East Coast. An interviewer, John Katz-Madadis, he's interviewing Netanyahu's campaign manager, John McLaughlin, and he puts it together quite well. I mean, in 2015, in the election, President Obama's people were over there running a super PAC against us, anybody but Bibi. So the left doesn't like him. Certainly Iran doesn't want him there. The Palestinians don't want him there. He's been under investigation from the left and been persecuted from the left uh, going back five years ago when we Mr. won the Papen, 2015 are you, election. Are you saying that President Obama was running a foreign campaign uh, against <laughs> Netanyahu? Yes, I'm not only saying it, but the United States Senate wrote a report on it. They funded a database that was used by the super PAC against us with American taxpayer dollars. And there was a fellow named Jeremy Byrd, who was the political director for Obama for America, with other Americans came over and ran that super PAC against us in the election. And we were behind the whole time, and we ended up winning. And that was the election when he addressed the American Congress about the threat of nuclear Iran was to the United States. Mr. McLaughlin, so they didn't I'm, want I'm, him there. 
let me say something. I'm now putting two and two together. Is the people after uh, Netanyahu, are are they the same people or same gang uh, uh, that is after President Trump in Washington? I would would venture that because uh, our main opponent in Israel right now, a fellow named uh, uh, Benny Gantz, who runs the Blue and White Party, his campaign was just run by Joe Benenson. And Joe Benenson is one of the smartest left-of-center strategists in the, in the country because he was Obama's pollster for both his elections, and he worked for Hillary Clinton. And he was the one, he's a, just like I'm over there advising uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he's advising our main opponent. So, you know, in 2015, they didn't want Bibi to, to wreck things with their uh, deal that they were going to have with Iran, so they were trying to beat him. And now, you know, they, they, want, they want Trump and Bibi out of the way. So it's John McLaughlin, who is the or was a campaign manager for President, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and it's just really interesting. He puts it together, as does the host, that you have these same type of people that are trying to bring down uh, President Trump and are trying to bring down Prime Minister Netanyahu. And clearly, uh, one connection is that President Obama was gunning for both of them. And that targeting, though, as we have seen, even of late in the United States and even in Israel through this current election cycle, that targeting hasn't stopped. The post-Obama deep state is still trying to take down President Obama in the United States. And this same 2015 attempt of Obama's people to take down Netanyahu is actually still in play today in Israel. And we're going to get into more of that as we go forward in this series. I really do think, though, that you need to take time to read Mr. Flurry's article that I mentioned at the beginning. Again, it's the mystery of President Obama's visit to Israel in which he sidelined the Knesset and chose to speak to a bunch of left-wing radicals and at the same time called them, called them on forcing their, their politicians to act on things they think is important, or really the things that he thought was important would not have brought Israel peace. They would have brought down the Jewish state a whole lot faster. Writes in this article, there is a real spiritual force on earth that is trying to bring down America and the Jewish state. And that spiritual force has his instruments. And President Obama was one of them. And the deep state continues that effort. And Obama's deep state has infected Israel as well. And we see it playing out day and day, time and time again, both through these series of elections that we've had and the attempts to bring down the prime minister and, and both the, with the, as we'll get into in other programs, the takeover of the judiciary acting in ways that are completely against Israeli basic law. And yet the media, much of the public, give it a free pass. Why is that? Why are people so willing to allow their blatant disregard for the laws of their country to take place just because of their own personal uh, vendetta or hatred against a person, a a political leader. It's abnormal. It's not justified. It's evidence of a real spirit world that is trying to take down these nations of Israel, and that is including the United States. That's all we have time for today. Please go ahead and read this article. I'll leave it in the show notes for you of the program today. If you want to send some feedback, you can do so by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. And thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.